what do you think about the IPCC's latest report? Is that going to inject a new urgency into the talks? Well, we hope so. I mean, the, I don't think we can have a much starker warning from the world's climate scientists about not only the need for urgent and ambitious action, but they're very, very clearly set out uh, to prevent catastrophic climate change, prevent a breaching of key temperature thresholds, such as a two-degree level, although many, including 100 developing countries, most of civil society and many climate scientists believe that at, uh, a 1.5 degree level is a much safer level and that two degrees leaves us very open to much more dangerous impacts. Uh, within that, they've said that there is a limited climate budget, there is a limited carbon budget, and, uh, and we have to live within that. And they've identified the main sources of uh, our carbon pollution. And so now what we have to do is, is, is turn that into real political action. So is it the warning bell? Well, I think we've had 25 years of warning bells. There's nothing in the report that I don't think anybody knew before. Right. Everything is there. The warnings are just starker, more grave, but then on a weekly level we see a new report come out. You know, the World Meteorological Office issued a report this week which said that emissions are at, a, at, at the highest global level ever and are increasing. So despite the stark warnings, despite the impacts in front of our eyes and despite the testimonies and of millions of people around the world, we haven't turned the corner yet. Yeah. One of the things in the report that stuck out for me was that there's a state that since 1990, there's been a, which is around the time that these talks kind of started, um, the CO2 emissions have risen by 54%, which really shows that the global community has kind of failed to get to grips with this. Do, do you think the way that the talks are going, do you, do you see much room for useful um, things to come out come out of it? Do you, do you, what, what, do you, what do you think is potential for this uh, particular summit? Well, I, I think the... The potential positive outcomes of the of the climate negotiations and of the summit are in direct proportion to the power and influence of you and I, of citizens from around the world. And it's only when we increase our power and and diminish that of the powerful vested interests who influence our government to continue the business as usual, the, the fossil fuel industry then that's the only dynamic that will make the change. It's, it's that that is key, and uh, on that I would say that increasingly, and we're seeing around the world now, I think we're beginning to see the re-emergence of a new, much more vibrant climate movement uh, that is much more focused and understands that the fights are around energy, of stopping new dirty energy projects, fossil fuel extraction from around the world, whether it's the Arctic, fracking or tar sands, but also being able to put forward real concrete solutions such as uh, community decentralised energy systems at a global and a European and a national level. So I think there is real hope, continues. Um, and we hope that now that we're starting to see some of these issues also being reflected in the negotiations, that we can begin to see some progress. But um, will these negotiations... Uh, save the planet? No. Do they have the potential to do that? Of course. And we are the, I suppose, the 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 key ingredient as global civil society and as global movements. 
it's as stark as that. The more, the stronger we are, the more likely we're going to see an outcome in in, in the climate negotiations. In terms of like the the kind of power power dynamics, the the, the rich world seems to hold kind of sway. Uh, they, they're obviously better better resourced to 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 bring huge delegations to the talks and stuff. And the EU's uh, is, is central to that. That they seem obsessed with pushing this idea of of, of carbon trading as as the only solution. It almost seems. But there are other um, solutions on the table, aren't there, from the, the global south and civil society? What, what what kind of things should we really be doing? Do you think if we we want to make a difference? You know, in, in the time frame that the IPCC is suggesting we actually need now. Well, I think the most critical one is uh, is you're absolutely right to say that the broken, busted policy initiatives, the the carbon markets, the proposals, we have to step away from. And there are proposals from some countries, like some ALBA countries, for a moratorium on, the, on, on new carbon markets. It's stopping the headlong rush into developing new markets, even while the existing ones fail, don't reduce carbon pollution, and are, are wide open to both double counting, to handing out permits to pollute to big, dirty industry, such as, for example, one of the sponsors of the of the climate negotiations this year, Ansaromitol, the big steel multinational, which receives about 1.6 billion euros worth of, um, of free permits to pollute from the Europe from the emissions trading scheme, the European Carbon Market System. So I think we've got to stop those. And there are real solutions on the table. There are real solutions, such as proposals on energy, uh, global feeding tariffs, financing supporting energy transformations around the world, uh, much more concrete, more direct, uh, not only challenge and deal with the climate crisis, but also with the fact that over a billion people around the world don't have access to any energy at, the, at this moment. So it can be a win-win for both people and the planet, and both for, from a climate perspective as well as a, a social and economic perspective. So those are the things that I think we'll, many of us will be fighting for and hoping to see some positive outcomes of. Rich countries are going to need to figure out how to finance that, aren't they, as well? I mean, there's, um, I think it's a meeting of, of, of uh, finance ministers. What, 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 do you, what do you think? They, they can't just leave it to the carbon markets like they, or private finance like they always seem to suggest, can they? It's, we need something well, more. Uh, well, unfortunately, that seems to be where uh, particularly countries like the United States and others uh, have been proposing that the, even the paltry sums that have been mentioned the 100 billion that was promised in Copenhagen from 2020 onwards, um, that that will be largely proposed largely either from carbon markets or in the forms of loans or private capital directly to uh, to multinationals. Um, but there are challenges, and and what we do need to see is is again some real solutions like a financial transaction tax, like special drawing rights like reducing our military expenditure. There are many, many different budgets out there and finances out there that can be redirected to ensure that we have some adequate finance and that developed countries fulfill their both legal as well as their moral and political obligation to help developing countries to be able to grow cleanly and, and to face the challenges of climate impacts that are already being felt by millions, if not billions of people. Yeah, and I'd add to that the fossil fuel subsidies that we're still seeing. I mean, people always talk about putting a price on, on carbon, but actually we're doing the reverse at the moment, aren't we? We're, we're, we're subsidising fossil fuels 
I think six pounds to every pound that we're actually spending um, subsidising renewable energy. So it's just 500 billion a year or something dollars globally. This is a just has to end, doesn't it? Absolutely, and this has been one of the demands that's been echoing around the world over the last month, whereas many different organisations came together in a global month of action called Reclaim Power, which brought together uh, Friends of the Earth, Greenpeace, 350, Jubilee South, Via Campesina and many, many others, uh, to amplify and echo a message that resonates for many, many different communities and struggles on the ground all around the world, which is to stop all new dirty energy projects, to end the taxpayer handouts to dirty energy corporations and to support community decentralised energy systems. And particularly the hand, taxpayer handouts to dirty energy corporations, we, we know that in terms of direct and indirect uh, subsidies to uh, big oil and to other big um, fossil fuel industries, those can range from anything. Some reports say half a trillion, some reports go up to about 1.3 trillion. Uh, even here in the United Kingdom, we hand out every single year uh, hundreds of millions to the oil and coal industry to continue to pollute. We give tax breaks to, fracking in, to the fracking industry so that they can uh, continue with their environmentally dangerous and carbon polluting processes. So those have to be stopped. and We have to look to redirect those to renewable and, and safer uh, energy systems that not only are going to save the planet but also help provide new green jobs for for the millions of people who are facing the crisis of austerity. What do you see as the main reason that the global community has failed over the last you know 25 years nearly now to, to solve this problem? Well it, this, it, this, this issue isn't ultimately it's not an environmental issue. I mean, in the sense of a classic environmental issue that there's an environmental wrong and you could, all you needed to do was uh, convince governments of, of the fact that there was an environmental wrong. And as soon as governments were aware of it being an environmental wrong, that they would then remedy that situation. So that was and has been and continues to be a, a wrong analysis of the climate crisis. Uh, governments are well aware of climate change and its impacts. The problem is that the changes that are required are of such a deep economic level that will change fundamentally our economies that those in power and those influencing our economies at this moment and our decision makers, they are loath to make those changes. And why would they? I've always said it's, it's like asking, you know, cigarette companies sponsor a conference on lung cancer and then expect them to say stop smoking. Uh, that's just not going to happen. And those are the kind of forces that we've been faced, we're facing. For many years, they've explicitly campaigned and lobbied against the climate science. And when no, they can no longer campaign against the climate science, they've been campaigning to make sure that any action is delayed, is not proportionate to the challenges that are out there and, and includes many, many, many false solutions such as carbon markets. So until we deal with the economic and vested interests, I think we're not going to be able to get the kind of agreement that is needed. And the Polish presidency really seems to be shameless in its association with some of the worst polluters. Um, they, they've got more on board as sponsors this year and, and, and they're also holding this world 
cold conference at the same time. I mean, I mean, <laughs> that, what are, what are they thinking? How how are we expected to get anything useful out with a presidency that is uh, thinks coal is part of the solution? Absolutely, and it's a very deliberate and a provocative attempt by the I think the Polish uh, presidency. But they, I think, are the most visible and the most open. And so when you hear the Polish government openly say in their own sort of domestic parliament and press that the reason that they want to host the COP was to ensure that their political and economic interests were safeguarded, they would just be much more explicit than uh, other developed countries. The, it's the equivalent of the United States saying that the the lifestyle of an American citizen is not up for negotiation. That's an impossibility. When an American citizen uh, is personally responsible for over 20 tons of CO2, whilst those in Africa have a footprint of less than one, when a toddler by the, year of, by the age of a year, one year old in New York will have emitted more CO2 than somebody in Tanzania will in their whole lifetime, the gross inequality, inequity of our system um, needs to be challenged. And, and there are lots of very, very powerful figures and interests who just don't want that to happen. So, yes, the polls are being much more explicit. They have been more explicit about the dirty energy sponsorship. So they are sponsoring everything from the pens, paper, water, water coolers, water cups, uh, even the building itself by big dirty energy corporations and are trying to give those dirty energy corporations a much more powerful and enhanced voice in the climate negotiations. Let's not be fooled that that is something new. It's just that many of those corporations have been doing their dirty work behind closed doors and at a national level, and the polls are just being much more explicit about it. But, um, what, but there is a challenge to it, and the Clean Coal Summit, for example, I think will become the focus of, uh, of large civil society protests, of people coming together from the trade union movement, environment, development, as well as communities impacted by dirty coal from around the world, will be simply saying, no, we cannot, coal does not have a future. Um, and ensuring that the energy mix that we do have for the future is, you know, is clean, safe and affordable. Okay, and finally, um, what kind of messages do you have for people that aren't going to be able to be in Warsaw but still want to work work on these issues and, and, and do something in their own locality? Well, in fact, that's the most important thing. Um, being in Warsaw really is, uh, is not necessary. What we really need to do uh, is we need to build a powerful movement, a movement so powerful that we can put not just hundreds of thousands of people on the streets, but a million people on the street. And if we want an agreement in 2015, that is going to go to somewhere to save not just the planet, but the billions of people who are going to be impacted uh, in terms of drought, famine, hunger, conflict, then we need a very powerful climate justice movement. And that has to be connected both at a national and at a global level. So the issues that are fighting at a national level to stop dirty energy corporations are important, and people need to continue to do that, but they need to continue to link those with our demands for to our governments, um, as well in terms of the kind of emissions reductions that are required. And then find those collective moments, such as during Reclaim Power, when we can collectively come together and amplify our strength and engage new people to it. That's the only solution that we have to ensure that those summits themselves come out with something positive.